0: We are going to try to conclude, I'm going to try to conclude this portion of Peter. I've been going verse by verse, literally one at a time, to take time to go through a very important category of teaching that I see largely neglected and abused in too many churches. Some that overemphasize it, others that that have taken Scripture, I believe, have twisted them Uh, to their own purposes, that they might um, live in a pseudo kind of peace relationship with those in authority, uh, rather than the true peace that God calls us to have with those in authority. And so we are in 1 Peter chapter 2. We have looked through these, as Peter moves from doctrine uh, in the technical sense of theology, into our relationships and we're going to be revisiting the first of those, which are, is our relationship within ourselves of the, of the battle between the flesh and the spirit. Our relationship with the Gentiles, with those who are unbelievers uh, at large. in, in our uh, instruction in verse 12 was to be honorable among them and that they might glorify God by observing uh, his righteousness in our behavior. And in our speech, in our, uh, as I said, our very countenance, a very uh, look upon our faces. And then we have spent these last two weeks looking at our relationship with the government, with those, not just government, but with all those in authority over us. For certainly this is within the home, within the church, as well as in society at large. But the focus here for Peter is on the government, uh, the king, the uh, governors individuals of this ilk, that we might have a right relationship with them. Again, that we might direct praise to God by our relationship with them and toward them. And we come to verse 16, and we really have to back up to verse 15 to get the full sentence. Let's do that and read the text, and then we're going to explore this last element of uh, what is going to be studying out of 1 Peter. It's not the fullest extent that we could do in Scripture. We could spend an enormous amount of time under this category, but we're going to try to conclude that today. Uh, God's Word says, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. And again, verse 17 is the directive that summarizes these relationships and we are focusing on honoring the king and what is involved in that. And we come now to a definition. This is not the first and not the only place. Certainly within scripture, we have an understanding that we are called to liberty. And Peter assumes it. He doesn't really instruct us extensively on it. He simply lays it out that we are free men that we do have liberty. And uh, so we need to define these terms because of the American concept of the definition of what it means to be free and to have liberty. And we really have a couple things to address because there's another term that isn't used here, but it is very popular in our culture, and that is the term we have these rights. And so I want to help us understand the distinction between what is a right and what is a liberty or a freedom. And yes, the Bible interposes those, the idea of freedom and liberty, uh, freely. And so they just go back and forth, and we see it right here in this verse. You are free, and, but don't use your liberty as a cloak for vice. And so liberty and freedom are, are overlaid very well here in Scripture consistently, as we're, gonna see, uh, we can, we're going to see, we're going to Corinthians, Galatians, we're going to see in Pauline writing, and Christ's teaching, uh, that we are called to this kind of thing. Even in the Old Testament, proclaim liberty throughout all the land was the conclusion, really, of God setting Israel free, bringing them out of, the, out of Egypt into the promised land. That one of the things was proclaim liberty. And that seems an odd thing to say when all we think about in that context is the giving of the law. That the law is the opposite of liberty. And it might seem like that when we read through Paul's teaching in Corinthians and Romans and other places. Uh, and even Galatians we are going to be looking at today, um, but it really isn't. And we're going to try to develop that concept to uh, clarify how we're using Scripture. The problem is we're taking modern, uh, Western, I'm going to say Western, not just American, but Western ideas of what liberty and freedom are, and we're imp- transposing them into Scripture. We're inserting them, and we're making these verses say things very differently than what they were intended to say. Uh, but rather, what we should be doing is inserting some older concepts of liberty and freedom that were not lost on the on this nation, even within the last 250 years. In this nation, uh, it, it, it had a different concept. Even in the original documents of this country, we had a deeper and a fuller understanding of what liberty and freedom entailed and what it did not include. And that's perhaps more important than what it did include, is understanding what it did not include. And uh, that has been lost in this day. This is not new. This is not something that this losing of the concept of liberty is not only been in this generation, in this time period, it has happened occasionally throughout history, and we have that even recorded for us in biblical history. As we go through and we look at biblical history of uh, Israel, of the world, even antediluvian before the flood, we have a knowledge that this we, we got to this point over and over again. And that point is declared in God's word, which most Americans we ask them, what is freedom, what is liberty? Uh they will invoke something comparable to this phrase, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. That's the biblical phrase. They won't use that verbiage necessarily, but liberty is, I can do whatever I want. And I get to decide what is right and what is wrong. And that's subjectivism, that is, that there is no universal truth of what is good, and nor is there a universal truth of what is bad. And so they would contend that everyone does what is right in their own eyes, that I decide what is right and wrong, and then I choose accordingly, and no one can judge me. And perhaps that is one you heard quite frequently in your life. I know I have from various people. Don't judge me. You can't judge me. And they pull out out of context a a couple of scriptures. Amazing how they know those. Uh, Judge not lest you be judged. Which again, even the last phrase qualifies the first one, doesn't it? Uh, Whatever measure you're going to judge people, measure yourself by it as well, is the statement there. And, and we forget that. And so we come to this phrase, everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And we say, well, that's freedom. Well, no, it's not. That, that is the condition of man immediately before God says, you're done. It was the condition of man when God came down, everyone's doing what was right in their own eyes, and God says, You're done. I'm going to destroy you all. And He found one righteous man, Noah, and, and built the ark. It took 100 years and delivered humanity uh, with eight people in a boat. Uh, and we find that, again, you go into, well, what are people doing? They're doing whatever they want. They do what they want, and God comes down, sees what they're up to, and says, this isn't good, uh, so let's bring division among men. And at the Babel event, we have the separation of peoples by, by the power of, divi- of being able to communicate to one another using different languages. We see that, Christ, that God comes down, and he visits places like Sodom and Gomorrah, and he says that they do whatever they want. And he says, that's enough. I'm going to destroy them. And then later on, he comes into his very own people, Israel and then Judah. And what does he find? It says they do whatever is right in their own eyes. They establish the measure of right and wrong. And then they take this high position and that they cannot be judged. And God comes down and says, well, now I'm going to judge you. Because you don't have the liberty to decide right and wrong. Those are eternal truths that all men are measured by. And so when we begin to do what is right in our own eyes, whatever we want, and you can't judge me, uh, we think that we've confused that with liberty and freedom. And we certainly don't want to come to scripture with that idea. Now, there's occasions that it might seem like it. Again, because we're coming to Scripture with these uh, concepts in our minds already that have, that have poisoned our thinking. That's probably the best term I can think of. It's just, it just poisoned us that we can't read these words and concepts without inserting these ideas that I can do whatever I want and be justified in it. I can defend myself for that, And and I see that extensively. I see Christians doing it. I do whatever I want, and and I can rationalize it. I can use the Bible to do that. We twist and and manipulate Scripture. We, We take it out of context to approve of ourselves. And we forget the purpose of Scripture in Timothy is that you may be approved of God. Study to show yourself a workman, approved of God. That's the goal, is not to prove ourselves. I go to Scripture so I can reform myself so I can be approved by God. Very different perspective than what the world thinks of as liberty. But we come with those ideas. So when we visit Paul in Romans and and in Corinthians and places like that, and he says, you know, I'm not bound by the law. And, And it sounds like, well, that's great. We don't have to keep any of the law. And he doesn't mean that. It's very clear that he has a concept of righteousness that isn't tied into the law. I don't go to the law. I don't go to the ordinances of man to decide what is right and what is wrong. And so um, the way that plays out in my generation, and I don't hear it very much anymore being used about, it's not about, we, we, we can talk about what is legal, and then we can talk about what is ethical, Now, which one is the higher law? What is legal or what is ethical? Well, there are many things that are legal that just aren't right. They aren't ethical. You can say, well, there's no law against it. And you're right, you have freedom because there's no law against it of man. There's no ordinance of man written against it. And so, yes, you can claim, I am free to do this. But we know that it is not ethical to do that. That is, that there is a higher law than that. And so, yes, you are free from a legal standpoint to do that. But from a moral standpoint, from an ethical standpoint, you do not have liberty to do that. Well, that has always been the case. And Paul says, listen, I am free from the law because the law isn't touching me anymore, because I am operating in the, in the area of what is ethical, what is moral, what is truly right. And we're going to define that today, because that's where we ought to be living. We ought to be living here, and once you live in this area, the area of the law really doesn't apply very much, but it does, because sometimes we talked about last week, uh, governments will call good evil and evil good. We saw that with Daniel, correct? And so we had that example. And so we are. So it's not that we are disregarding the law. It is that that we recognize we are free from the law because the law doesn't apply to us anymore. Not that because we are dealing on a scale of what is right ultimately, morally, ethically right, which is superior to the law. And so we're going to see that in Galatians and Corinthians to date. But we want to come to this as we are free, and, but that's not free to do whatever you want. It is rather that you are freed from the law of sin, free to now be at, be at liberty and this is a big deal in Judaism, right? Because you're free not to get circumcised, because that really wasn't what it was about uh, whether your males were circumcised. It was really about is your heart surrendered. To be committed to God, to be submitted to Him, and is that the condition of your life? And so it says, "Circumcise your hearts, O sinners." What does that mean? It means I'm going to surrender my life to God and that that is really what we're looking for. And so that is outside the law. There is no law that can touch the heart. Let's begin right there. There is no law that can touch your heart, that can contain it. We call this individual soul liberty, and we're going to talk about rights here very shortly. Uh, But there is no law that can rule your heart. You can be obedient even as you are rebellious in your heart. Can't you? You know that. You know that was true when you were a child, you know that's true of your children, you know that's true of you. I can be I can be to the letter of the law obedient even while being rebellious in my heart. And the perfect biblical example of this was the Pharisees. I mean, they were, to the nth degree, obedient to the law, yet Jesus Christ condemns them in and, and, and one category after another, after another, after another. He says, well, you're obedient to this law, you're going to tie these things, and you're going to call this stuff dedicated to God. What, but what you dedicated to God was really what you owed your parents. And now you don't have to honor your parents because you claim you've dedicated to God. You are a rebellious generation. You brood of vipers. They use liberty, the freedom of being uh, tied to the law, That this concept, and you might see that's upside down, but that's what they use. They abuse that to do what was right in their own eyes, and they actually broke the spirit of the law, the ethical part of it, the moral part, what is true righteousness. And so by uh, these that are tied into a legal concept concept of what is right, then end up often doing what is wrong. And Jesus Christ condemns that. That's fair sayism. So do we disregard the law? No, but we live above it. Let's go to Galatians. I've referenced that. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. If you'll turn there with me, and you'll see these exact same terms that Peter uses here in 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 16. We're free, we're, we're and we have liberty, but what does that mean? So let's go to Galatians five one. It says, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be engaged again with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back and start measuring your relationship with God to some legal standard. He's not saying go out there and do whatever you think is right. That is not what this verse says. Eradicate from your thinking an American definition or usage of the word liberty and freedom of doing whatever you want. That is not really new. It it happened in France, it's it's been in other places too. And so he says, listen, none of this is right. And so uh, stand fast. Claim your liberty, claim your freedom. But let's jump down to verse 13. For you, brethren, have been called to, li- to liberty only. Do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this you shall love your neighbors yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And so then we have the whole idea of contrasting the flesh and the spirit that we talked about when we talked about that first relationship Peter referred to. The first relationship was you have a war going on between your flesh and your spirit. Paul references it here. We're going to go back to that relationship, say we need to identify we're involved in a war. And we're losing that war if we use an American concept of liberty and freedom and interject it into that warfare. We basically surrendered. And Paul here in Galatians says, listen, you stand fast in your freedom, stand fast in your liberty, but do not think that that gives you an opportunity for the flesh to do whatever it wants. When you see opportunity for the flesh to fulfill its lusts, that you do not just say, well, that gives me the freedom to do whatever I want. And I've encountered Christians who, who, who take an American concept of that liberty, inject it into this verse, and say, I can do whatever I want. We're not legalistic in this church. So that means I can show up in church and I can be this and be that. And, be that. and I'm like, uh, and I go, and I, well, sure. If you want to come to church naked, I guess that's okay. Um, you have the liberty to do that, right? You're free, free in Christ. I stand fast in my liberty. Um, but that's not very nice to me. Have you thought about anyone else that's a look at you? I know you're a goddess, all that, but it's not. You're enticing people to sin, you're enticing you're causing all these problems, correct? And so the Bible says, I have a law of liberty of a modesty. I'm going to bring modesty to the table and I'm going I'm to bring things to this to my worship that take all the attention away from me and if anything that always speaks to glorifying God and so I'm going to put upon my vestige and my apparel and my clothing, I'm going to put evidences that I am here to honor God, that I'm here to, to, to magnify worship, I'm here to, to represent submission, I am here to do all these things and this is what I want to accomplish. I don't want to entice others to sin, hence I'll be modest. I don't want tension drawn to me, hence I will be modest. Now that's just one category, correct? We can pick on a lot of other categories. So what is the the parameter of our liberty? When the Bible uses the concept of liberty, it's using the concept of there is a parameter, but you are free because you are above the law. Now you have a The essence of the law is in all that I do. I can summarize it in one word, and that word is love. Because I love God and love you, I will not do you injury and harm to exercise my rights. Paul explains that further in Corinthians about eating meat. Well, do I eat meat that has been offered to idols? Well, an nothing, so it means nothing to me. So you're free to eat that meat. There is no law in Christianity, you cannot eat meat that's been offered to idols. But if the person you're buying that meat from, or you're getting ready to buy that meat, he's standing beside you, a brother in Christ who's weak in his faith, saying, hey, that meat's been offered to idols. And, and it's not a big deal in the United States, we don't think. Um, but in a place like India it is, because they still do that. And so, uh, do I buy this meat that's been offered to idols? Well, I have the liberty to do that. But as soon as I have a brother over here that that matters to him, suddenly I said, "No, I don't need to buy that." Why? But you see, the American gospel. No, I have a right to this, and you can't judge me. Well, you're you're claiming a spiritual high ground that you understand liberty, and yet. Your claim to spiritual maturity falls on his face because you have no love for your brethren, which trumps your liberty every time. Every time. You want to claim spiritual maturity? Then you better demonstrate a love for others that is Christ-level, who laid down his life for you. Are we willing to do that? No, we're not even willing to surrender a little bit of liberty. I am free to wear my clothes however I want, Pastor. I'm like, yes, you are. And I'm free not to look at you. But that's really hard when you sit in front of me for an hour. And I have a flesh thing going on, too. Surprised? So we have this liberty, but it is Border. there's there it is liberty to <laughs> live in the essence of law to such a high degree that the law is no longer a, a real concern it's a guide maybe a little bit to help us but i'm not really worried about killing any of you the law says shall not kill don't commit murder and so i I'm not really planning that. I hope none of you are either. (laughs) Because what I'm really concerned about is I don't want to hate any of you. No matter what you gossip, no matter how you treat me, I don't, I I am driving, the drive of my life is I don't want to hate people. Even politicians that I don't agree with, that I'm sitting out there being baked in the sun yesterday listening to our Lieutenant Governor tell us all to get vaccines. You know how I feel about that. I don't want to hate the man. I'm going to pray for him. and I don't want to listen to him. But I don't want to kill him. And the precursor to killing him is hating him. I don't have to worry about killing because I'm over here working on not hating. Do You see how now that law doesn't touch me. The law of murder isn't affecting me because I'm... Dealing on another level that Jesus Christ says, don't hate your brother. Adultery that we just referenced. I, I, you might say, you just referenced adultery? Yes, I did. Because I'm not worried about adultery. I'm worried about lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Once I address this, adultery doesn't come to bear. You see how suddenly we're, we're way up here above the law and now we are in this, this is what the Bible calls liberty. And it is confined by love. That love is the element. And so he says, listen, you love your neighbor. Uh, you're not gonna, it's not an opportunity in flesh. Peter says, listen, don't use this as, as, a, as a mask, uh, as an excuse to go and sin. I'm free. No, you're not free. You're not free to wear whatever you want to wear, because you should be driven by a love for your pastor and other men around you, you have the world or your family or your neighborhood, to dress modestly. That should drive your decision-making on a daily basis, and for those of you who change frequently hourly basis. Some, some women change their clothes frequently. It should drive us. It should be our first thought. I say well uh, what about what about me well what about you that sounds pretty selfish I have these rights okay let's talk about your rights because that's really important to Americans right we have a right to be free thinking uh, and free acting and free doing so let's talk about a right now our constitution. Our preamble says that we have a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness that's an inalienable one. cannot be separated from you, your right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We find further that this is declared to be conveyed to you by your creator. That is one of the hallmark statements of our nation. And you've heard me speak against that in the past. I really want to talk about that word, right. What is a right? Because I believe we have some. I'm not one to advocate and say we have no rights whatsoever, uh, but let's define what a right is. A right is that which is conveyed to you, it's a legal uh, conveyance to you from one authority above you that you can participate in this with impunity, that is without ever being punished. And you can claim that. As you claim it and exercise it, you'll never be punished for doing so. All right? So... uh, a government can issue a series of rights. They, as a higher authority, can say everyone who is a citizen of this country has these rights. The Roman government did it. We're going to talk about that here shortly. <laughs> I've got a lot to talk about shortly. And so we, that the Roman government did that. And Paul exercised those rights. He says, you don't have a right to beat me, a, a, a Roman citizen uncondemned. That's not a, 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 a allowed in this empire. And everyone, whoa, the Philippian magistrates, oh, we just beat up and imprisoned Roman citizens. We're in trouble. We're in big trouble. And this happened in Jerusalem. Once they found out you're a Roman citizen, uh, we are just getting ready to whip you. And one of the guys getting ready to whip him says, are you sure? He says he's a Roman citizen. What? So Paul invokes the rights of citizenship that the Roman government, the authority, issued for all of those that were citizens that were different than non-citizens. So yes, that has been around for a long time. It's nothing new in our country and other countries. Citizens have more rights than non-citizens in those countries. And so... um, That's conveyed. But what our document is saying is that these were conveyed by a higher authority than government. They're claiming a divine authority for this right, that these rights supersede government. Now, I understand why they wanted to do that, because they wanted to justify their own rebellion against their government. So they had to claim an authority higher than government to rebel against government, didn't they? which is what we are doing by civil disobedience uh, when we continue meeting and when the government says, don't meet, uh, when we don't wear masks when they say, wear a mask. We understand that's civil disobedience. Uh, when we pray three times a day facing Jerusalem, even though the king says, don't pray three times a day facing Jerusalem. Uh, we understand that's civil disobedience, but that's not rebellion. And, uh, but these people wanted to rebel against their government, that authority, and so they had to cite a higher authority than government and we cite a higher authority than government for civil disobedience, but not for rebellion. And so these both said, well, higher authority than government has said we have these rights. And I keep asking people, can you please show me those in the scripture where we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And liberty in there, you say, well, you just said we have a liberty. We are free in Christ, not a right, a gift. Big difference. Liberty is not a Right? is a gift of God we are free in Christ which tells us something about everyone else who is not in Christ they don't have true liberty they are still stuck condemned by the law the law and the law condemns us we are free from that and now we operate on the essence and the ethics of it which is that we love God and love one another and that drives every decision I make every day Once that occurs, I have nothing to worry about about the law. And that's why Peter says, listen, if you do as good, you're going to bring glory to God and glory from the authorities, ultimately, even if they speak bad about you. Even if they try to condemn you as evil, by your good works, you will prove them wrong. Because you're operating in the essence of what is truly good instead of the legalities of what may be called right or wrong. And so, do we have these rights? A right To liberty, when the Bible says, no, you don't have a right to liberty, it's a gift of God for those who have received the forgiveness of Jesus Christ uh, and his sacrifice, he grants us liberty. And so it is not an inalienable right, uh, and neither is life, correct? Because if it was an inalienable right, God could not take it away from you. So let's go back to the beginning of sin and see what kind of rights did Adam and Eve have. Did they have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Did they have a right to? Now I do believe, and you've heard me teach, that we did, we were instilled with a fundamental right that God put in us when He created us, because He created us in His image. And that image brought upon us a right of self-rule. That is self-directed choice. We have a right to choose. Oh man, he sounds like an abortionist. Yeah. It's kind of frightening, so please bear with me, okay? We'll get through this. We have a right to choose, not a right to life. Okay? I know that the right to life is the anti-abortion movement, and the right to choice is the pro-abortion movement, and it is phenomenal because technically, terminology-wise, they are in the biblical right, and the right to life are in the biblical wrong. Constitutionally, maybe different, but... In terms of biblically, you have a right to choose. God has granted you his image. You are his image bearers. You have self-authority. You have authority over it. Remember I told you no law can touch your heart. The heart is where you make choices in Scripture. So no law of man can touch your heart. You choose what you're going to submit to, what you're going to believe, what you're going to uh, follow and serve every day. You choose that. Whether you're going to serve yourself, the flesh, or whether you're going to serve God in the spirit. You choose that. You have the right to make that choice. We call it individual soul liberty in Baptist circles, that you have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. And I cannot enforce by sword or by imprisonment or by threat to change that. I can influence you, but I cannot take away your right to choose. You have the right to choose. Period. Because men are created in the image of God, angels don't have the right to choose. That's why they cannot be saved. It's because they chose when they didn't even have the right to choose. We have the right, and the only creatures God's ever made that I can tell in the scripture that had the right to make a choice. And that liberty, that, that right to choose is, is often called free will. Um, and I'm trying to delineate between rights and liberty and freedom, so I, that really muddies the waters right there. I told my wife, I said, i got a hard one to preach today because I've got a, terminologies that I have to just sort out all over the place. And one right after another after another. We have a right over our hearts that no law, no man, and God himself cannot interfere with. Because God granted it, and he is faithful, therefore it is established, and even he won't take it away. You have a right to choose. So if you want to murder your children, you have the right to choose that. If you want to murder me, you have the right to choose that. But then you're going to hear something out of from God that my children heard from me frequently. Now you get to live your choice. I will defend your right to choose because God has established it. That. that is an inalienable right of man. And it's interesting how some theology are out there trying to evacuate that right from men uh, under the guise of the sovereignty of God, when in fact um, it, it betrays God to do so, and it makes God the originator of evil. Um, we, we have them then trying to let men do whatever they want, and yet because everything you want to do is God's will, and it's just horrific. Rather than just recognize that we have a right to choose, you have the right to choose, but then you must live with those choices. Adam and Eve, did they have the right to choose? Yes, God put them in the garden and said, this stuff you can eat, this one thing you can't eat, you choose. And he walked away. And he let them choose because it was their right. He had made it part of who they are. They had the legal authority to choose. But they also were going to have to live what they chose. And they chose poorly, didn't they? They chose to listen to the serpent instead of listening to God who created them. But they had the right to do that. That, brethren, is a right. The right to choose is a biblical right. But now what we want to do is we want to separate the right to choose from the... (laughs) from the result of having to live with my choices. I don't want death from eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will surely die. Now, the serpent said, well, you're going to be wise like gods. Well, they were already like gods, because they had the right to choose. They had self-governance. Serpent didn't have that. Satan didn't have that. That's why he was jealous. I'm convinced that that is why Satan fell, is when God made man. And he looked at that and said, they have something I don't have. They have the image of God, and I don't have that. And that was when he fell. Because until then, until that moment, when God created Adam, Lucifer was the highest created being. And we trumped him. And it got him mad. He was jealous. I want to be like God, because they're like God. Why can't I be like God? He wanted what you have. So he comes down and he beguiles the woman. And she had the right to choose. But then she had to live with that consequence of that choice. You live with your choices. And that choice brought separation from God. It brought being weeds and, and hard labor. It brought uh, death ultimately. Uh, but um, they still had the right to choose. And we still carry that to this day. This is an inalienable right. But you cannot divorce the enable right from the consequences of each choice, and so this we bring this forward into scripture, and we begin to comprehend what we are called to do, and, and what why scripture keeps saying you keep you have to choose, you have to have this war within you and choose what is right, and the government cannot take that away because it is an inalienable right given to you by your creator and no government can take it. Zero. God himself will not take that right from you. Don't let a theologian try to do it. God himself will not take it. It is an inalienable right. Life, not inalienable. God can take it away from you. Government can take it away from you. Some madman can take it away from you. Your own mother could take it away from you. By exercising her choice but then she has to live with the consequences. If you take human life, your life is forfeit by the law. Do we have a right to liberty? No. If that were the case, there would be be no prisons, there would be no slavery ever in the history of man. If men had an inalienable right to it, that God himself could not remove it from you. No, you don't get to do whatever you want. In fact, every time the world got down to that point of concept of liberty, um, God destroyed the world or destroyed those peoples. Do you have a right to the pursuit of happiness? Well, it's not happiness that is the noun there. It's pursuit. And if you want to say, well, pursuit is my choice, then you do have the right to that. Um, but pursuit of happiness is generally, I'm going to do what makes me feel good. You don't have that right. Not an able right. To do whatever makes you feel good. In the, in the Christian law of love, now I find out my pursuit should be what? My pursuit, I should choose to pursue what is good for you. I should pursue loving you and loving God. That should be the pursuit of my life. But it is your choice. I can't make the choice for you. Your parents can't make the choice for you. Your husband can't make your choice for you. Your wife can't make the choice for you. Uh, Your pastor can't. No one else can make that choice because you have the inalienable right to choose who you will serve. And this is what Joshua says, right? You people, you choose whom you serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make that choice. And, and if one of my servants or if one of my children doesn't want to serve the Lord with me, this is my house. Get out of my house. And that's a reality that I tried to live in front of my children. You don't have to obey me. You don't have to live like me, but you don't have to live in my house either. That's a consequence of not serving the Lord with me in my house, is that you cease to be part of my house. And that's biblical. That's godly. That's God's declaration. You want to choose to eat that and, and disobey me? Then you don't get to be in my garden. You don't get my blessing. You don't get all of this because of that choice. But the right to choose is still yours. It's still intact. Even in your sin, the right to choose is still intact. This is the difference between a right and a Freedom. And so when the Bible comes in and says, listen, stand fast in your liberty, that's a choice to stand fast. I'm going to choose to stay free in Christ, not in this lower echelon of worrying about whether what I do is legal or not. I'm going to operate my life on an echelon like Daniel and Joseph and, and, and Hananiah and, and Mishael and Azariah. And I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to be in the essence of truth, of, the, of, of what is right and good. I'm going to be up there with Esther and Mordecai. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to operate on this higher level. I'm going to be free from that law and follow the law of love by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to engage in that. And then that is described by Paul here in Galatians as walking in the Spirit. And uh, in 1 uh, Corinthians, he, he goes on into it even more uh, in chapter 9, 10, uh, the whole, uh, well, mostly chapter 8, um, dealing with their conscience. Do not use your liberty as a cloak for vice, Peter says. To do wrong. Well, I'm free, I can do whatever I want. No, you are not free to do whatever you want. That is the opposite of freedom. That is slavery to sin. You are free to love God and to love one another like the world cannot understand. You are free to be fully surrendered to God And to honor him in all you do. The world can't. What does Isaiah say about the righteousness of the ungodly? It's like filthy rags to God. They cannot please God even by trying to do what's right. Because God won't approve of it. No, we can only have the freedom to please God by surrendering ourselves to him, by accepting Christ as our Savior, by receiving the the, uh, forgiveness and the Righteousness of Christ being imputed upon us by the Father, and now we can please the Father by doing what is truly morally and ethically right. Will I end up walking against the government sometimes while doing that? Of course. Because human government doesn't understand the law of love. Our lieutenant governor yesterday actually invoked that word, and he means something very different than what we understand it to mean, that we are unconditionally committed to God and to one another, to your well-being, no matter the cost to me personally, including all of my quote-unquote rights. You do not have those rights, but you do have the right to choose. And that's why these biblical authors and I today implore you, choose whom you will serve. Please serve the Lord. Please don't serve your flesh. Please serve the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Please make that choice. And that is a choice you have to make for yourself every day. Whom will I serve today? Me, mine, or God? Whom will I serve? My interests or the interests of others? Who will I defend today? Myself or the powerless? You see, we're all about the right. And if and if our Constitution has said, we, the United States government, have conferred upon our citizenry these rights, I would say, great, how do you keep people from dying? Good luck. How do you keep people from being imprisoned in, in slavery? And most of us are. If we're carrying debt, the Bible says you are someone's slave. Few you are free. Breathe it in, love it, keep it, treasure it. They can't. They don't. And let alone the pursuit of happiness. And so when we come to these concepts of government and our relationship with them, understand that I am not advocating you go out there and do whatever you want. It may have, you may come to that conclusion after the last two weeks. So pastor just, I can just pick and choose which laws I live by. No, I live by the law of God, which is to love one another. And sometimes the most loving thing I can do for my country and for my community and for even my authorities over me is to be civilly disobedient. Daniel said it himself, I am not a threat to you. I I mean you no injury. I'm doing this for you. And I'm thanking God for the opportunity to introduce you to Jesus Christ. What we didn't talk about last week that I'm going to close with today is that Darius, at the end of that, issues a letter to everyone in his kingdom. And he says, there is no God but the God of Daniel. He is the true God. Who can deliver like Daniel's God? You see, Dan didn't just do it for his own protection. He did it for his king. For his king, not against his king. It might have looked like it was disobedience, but it was for his king. So his king could see what real godliness looked like and then what a, who a real God is and what he's like. And So we don't willy-nilly just go through and say, I don't like this law, I'm not going to keep it. Uh, what you like and dislike is irrelevant to this equation. It is recognizing, and there is, some, there is some concept of this in our country's forefathers, that there has to be authority higher than the king, that we must but they, they, they abused that. But we hopefully won't abuse that, and we'll say when it comes to civil disobedience, I better have some biblical foundation for This and a motivation that is not selfish but loving. I love this country. I also love other countries. And I see what we're doing to people. I see the fear, the despair, the frightening loneliness that has been imposed upon people and it's not right. So I'll counter it with everything I have. Not because I hate my government, because it doesn't matter. This started under a Republican and, and it's continuing under a Democrat. This is not politics. This is about what is right. And when government is out of control, and is doing this much injury to itself and to its people. I have a biblical mandate to love them and love this country enough to call evil, evil. And this is a great evil. Not only in the development of this virus, but in the hysteria around it. And so this is not something we just randomly say, I don't like that law, I'm not keeping that law. No. We function by a law. That law is love. Am I doing this because I love people and I want them to be without this fear that just paralyzes them and is destroying families and relationships and throughout the earth, not just in this country, but throughout the whole earth. This is what's being perpetrated against us. This is a crime. And we need to stand. We'll stand for the unborn. But the people that have been abused and are powerless against it because of ignorance are also need our attention to say this is the truth from God's word. And that needs to be the foundation. Not, we're going to do whatever is right in our own eyes. Oh no, that is not freedom. That is not liberty. Not by a long, long ways. That is the pinnacle of evil. No, I'm going to do. I am free. I am at liberty to do what love demands. The love of God demands. I'm free to do those things not to do people injury, though they may claim that against us, but to do them with a blessing. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us, and we thank you for this study. And Lord, I pray that we might leave here with a different perspective of understanding what freedom and liberty means, what it demands of us, For what we will be held accountable for before your throne of grace. Lord, help us speak the truth in love always. And Lord, we understand that we live in a world that doesn't like the truth and doesn't understand love. And we know that many times they will hate us and should because they hated you. They will want to penalize us and injure us and even kill us Lord, help us to love them. Nonetheless, to seek their deliverance, even as we seek the deliverance of those that they are oppressing. Lord, let this be the drive of our life: is to love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, minds, souls, strength, to love our neighbors, ourselves. Transform our thinking our decisions, our walk. That they might adhere to these rules of what is truly righteousness. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.